Hi, I'm Paul Ellard. Welcome to Our Queen, Our Mother, the Graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In our sessions, we will be exploring the topic of the Blessed Virgin Mary and why she is important to the Christian faith. With each talk, we will try and open up and explain in simple terms the Catholic Church's teaching on the Blessed Virgin Mary. We will also include a testimony of people who have experienced her love and grace in their own lives. So welcome to the program and let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for all the graces and blessings that you give us. We ask you, Heavenly Father, to send your Holy Spirit to be with us now in our hearts to open our minds and our hearts to understand more and more the important role of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So Lord, fill us with your spirit, bless us with your love as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, Queen of Peace, pray for us. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, last time on Our Queen, Our Mother, we began to look at some of the uh, key scriptures that have a strong Marian connection. And this week, uh, we're going to continue part two. So today we want to look at the wedding at Cana. This is from John's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Three days later, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited. When they ran out of wine, since the wine provided for the wedding was all finished, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said, Woman, why turn to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. There were six stone water jars standing there, meant for the ablutions that are customary among the Jews. Each could hold twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they fill them to the brim. Draw some out now, he told them, and take it to the steward. They did this. The steward tasted the water, and it had turned into wine. Having no idea where it came from, the servants who had drawn the water knew. The steward called the bridegroom and said, People generally serve the best wine first and keep the cheaper sort till the guests have had plenty to drink. But you have kept the best wine till now. This was the first sign given by Jesus. It was given at Cana in Galilee. He let his glory be seen, and his disciples believed in him. 
So the scripture of the wedding at Cana is really packed with, it's such a rich scripture. But today we just want to focus on those Marian aspects. And scripture tells us that this was Jesus' first miracle. This was his first miracle in his public life. From the story we see that it was instigated through Mary's intercession. And it's interesting, you would think, well, if Jesus is going to launch his public life, wouldn't you think he'd start with some miracle like raising raising someone from the dead? Or maybe feeding the 5,000 or giving a blind man sight. Something that is going to get everybody talking and launch his public life. But no, he chooses to turn water into wine because at the wedding he was at, they ran out of wine. And Mary turned to her son and said, look, they have no wine. She was obviously concerned about the embarrassment of the bridegroom and the wedding party. So when you think about it, Mary was concerned about the embarrassment of the bridal party. And so why is that important? Well, sometimes we think, well, our prayers aren't really all that important. You know, Jesus is trying to create world peace and stop nations fighting and deal with all the problems in the world. And, and I'm worried about my little problem seems pretty petty in the scheme of things. But, you know, Mary, as our mother, she wants to hear these things. She wants to address them. And Jesus and, and, and Mary want to bless our lives, even in the smallest of things. So never, never be hesitant to ask for any prayer, even though you may think, look, in the scheme of, of world events, it's not all that important. But it is to a mother, and it is to Mary. So what happens? Mary goes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. And Jesus says to her, Woman, how does this effect concern me? My hour has not yet come. So it's obvious that it wasn't in the original intention for Jesus to launch his public life in this way. But through Mary's intercession, he did. Now, in order to really get into this scripture, you have to stop and think for a second. The world knew Jesus through his public life for three years. But remember, Mary knew him for 30 years before that public life even began. Can you imagine how well they knew each other? They must have talked about things. They must have to- Jesus must have talked about his ministry, about um, the, you know, the, the future things and, and what his mission was. And, you know, you can sort of read between the lines. And Jesus turns to his mother and said, why are you asking me this? You know, so let's 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 have a little bit of be a little bit liberal here in in reading between the lines. But I I think it's quite fair to say, you know, we could we could say that in one sense, Jesus was saying to his mother, why are you asking me this? We've talked about this many times. This is not the time I was going to start my public life. You know, and, and what does she do? She gives him that little grin, like you can imagine, and give him a little wink and say, go on, do it for your mother. You know? <laughs> That's what my, my mother does to me. <laughs> go on, do it for your mum. And it's, it's beautiful the way Mary turns to the service 
and she doesn't say go and pour the water into the thing she doesn't she doesn't take control but she comes back with this beautiful line do whatever he tells you in other words she knows his heart so well she knows he's going to do it for him but she gives respect to his authority and still leaves that possibility that if he doesn't want to he can direct otherwise so do whatever he tells you and of course that's what she's saying to us today do whatever he tells you it's a beautiful scripture and uh, we really see Mary as a mother interceding here for this this young married couple now I also want to say something about Jesus response to Mary when Mary says they have no wine and Jesus says woman how does this effect concern me my hour has not yet come now you'll hear some people say oh gee Jesus got no respect for his mother calling a woman putting her back in her place yeah that's that's right you know to interpret the scripture that way is really um, is really twisting it we spoke last time about Genesis 3.15 where it talks about the woman that will help crush the head of Satan. That uh, the, the, the child born of the woman will be victorious. And so this title, woman, when it's given to Mary, you know, in many ways we could say it's a royal title. And we'll speak more about this when we look at some other scriptures a little bit later on. Keep in mind that this title, woman, is not a put-down whatsoever. Now, it's probably fair to ask the question, did Mary talk Jesus into doing something that he didn't want to do? Now, reading the text, you would say, well, it seems like he did. But, of course, you know, we, we talk when we talk in theology, we talk about God... God doesn't change his mind. So how does this all kind of fit together? Well, we could say in one sense, God the Father wanted this. He wanted this to, to um, be recorded in Scripture and to, to demonstrate the power of Mary's intercession. And it would be true, possibly, that um, this was not what Jesus had planned, but in the mystery and the divinity of God, which is very mysterious, in a way it all was in the way of God's plan. Perhaps we could put it this way. That the bride and groom, probably from their own merits, did not deserve to have Jesus launch his public life at their wedding. But when Mary asked from power of intercession and by the graces that she has merited in her life and of course you know the the big graces given to her from from Jesus and from God the Father just on who she is is a huge grace we've already spoken a, a bit about that already so from her merits we could say that this enabled this couple to have this miracle done at their wedding. And in a sense, we can apply that to all Marian intercession. We might think, look, we're not worthy, and it's probably true, we're not worthy. But Mary's intercession 
Mary has been given this powerful role of being mother and intercessor for us, that she can call upon graces that she obtained in her life and that were given to her for this very purpose. So she really is our mother. So it's a wonderful example of how Mary can intercede for us. Now to understand Mary, we need to be clear about our understanding of God. Well, we say God is a triunion God. Three persons in one God. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And they live in relationship. This is absolutely crucial to understand. When we look to God and we see a triunion God living in relationship, they completely, they completely give to one another. Total self-donation. They don't hold anything back. Pope John Paul II, in his book, Crossing the Threshold of Hope, he writes this, God, in his deepest mystery, is not a solitude, but a family, since he has in himself fatherhood, sonship, and the essence of family which is love. Now notice, John Paul doesn't say God is like a family. He said God is a family. So in that sense, we could say God doesn't get lonely because there are three persons in one God, this wonderful mystery. But this analogy of family, we can say that we have a Father in heaven. We have this Father then gives us his Son so that we can be brothers and sisters of Jesus. So we have a father, we have a son, we have brothers, we have sisters. What's missing in this family? A mother. And of course, this is Mary's role, to, to be this link, to bind this family together. And how do we best relate to mothers? We love them. We must move past just praying through Mary, but fall in love with her. It's so easy to fall in love. It's so easy to fall in love with her because she's the perfect mother. It's so easy. She's the mother of Jesus. Jesus loved his mother. We love his mother. It's a beautiful thing. So as we said in a previous session, Mary is daughter of the Father, mother of the Son, and spouse of the Holy Spirit. So if Mary is the mother of Jesus, and we are brothers and sisters of Jesus, then Mary is our mother too, our spiritual mother. And if we look to scripture, we can also see this verified. And we see this in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, starting from verse 25. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. Now this is a very intense moment 
for Mary to be at the foot of the to be at the foot of the cross. Many of you would have seen Mel Gibson's movie The Passion, and we get some sense of the the suffering of Jesus and the suffering of his mother. So let's sort of try and enter into the scene here at the foot of the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying in agony. He's been whipped, beaten, spat upon. There's hardly a place on his sacred body which has not been ripped open and beaten. His head has been pierced with giant thorns, his face beaten and spat upon. The creator of the world has been humiliated and belittled in front of the crowds and the rulers of this world. He has been forced to carry his own cross, which eventually had to require help because he was too weak to continue alone. And Mary walks at a short distance with him. She sees him fall, mocked by the guards. Can you imagine the pain Mary must have felt in her silent agony? Silent agony. Seeing and experiencing the sufferings of her son, knowing that what we are doing to her son, but also the Son of God, she must have wanted to cry out, Do you realize what you're doing to God? Can you imagine as Jesus and Mary's eyes met in silence? That look of terrible agony, yet both of them accepting their sufferings out of love for us and obedience to God the Father. And finally Jesus is stretched out upon a cross, stretching out his sacred arms and legs, until the joints were dislocated and then while in this agonizing position his hands and feet are nailed to the cross and all of this is happening right in front of his very own mother can you imagine how she feels put yourself in her position at the foot of the cross watching all this can we possibly even begin to imagine her sufferings. Imagine someone you loved being nailed to the cross and crucified. And when Jesus is on the cross, the cross itself is lifted up and dropped into the ground, into the hole which supports the cross. Can you imagine the pain that must have went through the hands and feet of Jesus as this cross jars into position. Can you imagine the pain and tears of Mary? And Jesus hangs there stretched out in this agonizing position for three hours. The weight of his own body causing him to suffocate and unable to breathe. Having to lift himself up to breathe by pushing against the nails in his hands and feet to get the breath. Mary's pain, unspeakable. It would have been easier for Mary if she was the one suffering than to have to watch her own son endure all this torture. And we ask ourselves this question. 
was the early church ever in a more serious crisis than when Jesus was dying, hanging there on the cross? Was there ever a time when this early church was more confused, more frightened or more fearful? No, never in the history of the whole church. Everything appeared lost, as it does today and on many other occasions. And what does Jesus have to say about this crisis? What is the solution for Jesus? Take my mother. That's what Jesus says from the cross. Now make sure you're not one of those who try and trivialize Jesus' words. You know, in, this, in the Gospels, Jesus never wasted any words. Whatever Jesus had to say in the Gospels is of great significance. There's no trivia in the Gospels. And can you think of a time, of a more crucial time, than when Jesus is dying on the cross, that his last words are not loaded with deep significance and rich spiritual meaning? Some people try and imply that the last words of Jesus are not important. Jesus wasn't concerned about who will help Mary chop the firewood or something trivial. Jesus' words were loaded with great spiritual significance, not only for John, the apostle, but for you and me and the whole church. Mary is our mother because Jesus gave her to us at this most critical of all times in his whole life. Let us not miss the great significance of this reality. Mary is our mother because Jesus commands it at the cross. So when Jesus was dying, he didn't dictate new discourses of scripture or special instructions he simply gave us the gift of our mother. That's very significant and we should reflect on this. Not only did Mary have to watch her son die an agonizing death on the cross, she had to witness his sacred heart being pierced with a sword. Have you ever had a broken heart from a meaningful relationship? Well, you'll know what it's like. You have physical pain in the heart. Can you imagine what it was like for Mary? And then when this happens, we recall those words that Simeon said to Mary at the presentation of Jesus in the temple, back when he was a little baby. Simeon said to Mary, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be contradicted, and you yourself a sword will pierce, so the thoughts of many may be revealed. So there is Simeon's prophecy that Mary will suffer, a sword piercing her heart. Now it's interesting when you think about it because you know, Jesus had already died. And then when the soldiers came along to break the legs, and that's how people who have been crucified die, because when they break their legs, they can't push up to take a breath, so they virtually suffocate. Jesus had already died when the, when the soldiers came along. So what do they do? They pierce his heart with a sword. And you know the famous saint, Saint Margaret Mary, she asked Jesus, why? Why did he allow this uh, when, when Jesus appeared to her? 
Magme was the saint that Jesus introduced the whole devotion of the Sacred Heart. And so St. Margaret Mary asked Jesus, why was it that, you, that this sword, you allowed this sword to pierce your heart when you'd already given so much and you'd already in fact died? He wanted to show his love and, and the extremes of which he'd go and that the heart is the centre of love. And this was to really focus on his love for us. And of course you know what happens when the soldier pierces the heart of Jesus with the sword, blood and water flows out. But at that moment also there's great spiritual significance because that's the time when Jesus gave us his mother. She became our mother. And Mary paid a great price for becoming our mother. She suffered so much. You know, blood and water uh, are present also at childbirth. So it's significant that at that moment when Mary becomes our mother, that blood and water are present. And, you know, Mary suffered so much in becoming our mother. And her yes to God is huge when you look at it, of what she was called to do to cooperate in her son's passion and to suffer with him and be with him at the foot of the cross. When all the other apostles ran away with fear, Mary was there and St. John was there. And of course, tradition has it that St. John was the youngest and St. John was also um, the holiest of the apostles. Many of the church fathers say, St. John was the holiest of the apostles because he had a great devotion to Mary and that gave him depth in his uh, spirituality and his understanding of who Jesus is. And you, know, you could present a good argument to say we can see that in the Gospel of John, how profound and deep it is. Um, that's not to take anything away from the other Gospels, of course, but it does have a very a rich and deep spirituality. So... Mary is our mother and we are called to accept her and take her into our heart as the disciple John did. Now, very interesting, the words that John uses. Let's just go back to the text again. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Now, isn't that interesting? The text says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, wouldn't you expect the next word to be mother? It changes to woman. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. So he mentions the word mother three times. And in the middle, he uses the word when he addresses his mother as woman. And this is where we get the understanding this linked with Genesis 3.15 and other times through the Gospels where Jesus refers to his mother as woman, that this title woman is, is like a royal title from Genesis 3.15 who would help crush the power of Satan and whose offspring would bring victory to God. So that's the end of our session today. 
We've gone a little bit over time, but I hope you have enjoyed our time together. But please don't go away because we'll be back in just a moment with today's guest who will share something of their own experiences of the graces of Mary. session we have a special guest speaker with us who shares something about their own relationship with Mary and today we have sister Julie Brocard she is a sister from the show and set sisters of Mary welcome sister Julie how are you thanks Paul it's it's great to be chatting with you sister Julie just tell us something very briefly about the show and stat movement the international show and stat movement was formed in 1914 or founded by a priest by the name of Father Joseph Kentenich. And he basically saw his mission, uh, put very simply, is to be a father to many because he saw uh, during this period of time, it was pre the First World War, and due to the short history before that, we were really heading into fatherless times. And one of the biggest problems in our, in our world today is that lack of childlikeness. In addition to that, he saw or wanted to take up St. Paul's mission of proclaiming Christ to the world, but rather saw it a step further in proclaiming the mysteries of Mary to the world. Mary as being the spouse of Christ, the bride helpmate, but also the mother of, of Christ and God, and thereby being the person most close to, to Christ um, and who could lead us most perfectly to him. Okay, so in terms of your, your own um, love for Mary, could you tell us a little bit about how that developed? Yes, um, I think growing up as, as a Catholic um, and also coming from a European background, um, I grew up with a, a very strong Marian piety. As, as, as a young child already, I had a great love for Mary, always desired to uh, have an encounter with her, I guess. And... Although it was always there, somehow in, in then my teens, as I got involved in, in youth work um, in the diocese, my relationship shifted more to Christ than to Mary. Although I still had a love, always for both, I guess the emphasis shift, and that was primarily because I was very much uh, attracted to and spent a lot of time um, before the Blessed Sacrament. But knowing that she led me to Christ, and I can say now that, you know, they're more in balance, they toggle because I guess Mary's primary role is to serve the Lord and to lead all to him. And Christ wants to lead us all to his holy mother. So the two are always getting us to go from one to the other. And it's just, I guess, if you think of a natural family, it's exactly what a mother would do. A mother would direct the children to the father and the father to the mother and be praising one and the other. So 
it's nice to to see the way they they play with us in that way. Um, I guess coming back to Schoenstatt, the Schoenstatt Sisters of Mary is one community within the international Schoenstatt movement. And as you hear by the name, uh, Schoenstatt refers to the place in which it was founded, which is a place in Germany meaning beautiful place. We are Sisters of Mary because we see Mary as essentially our foundress, our general superior, our mother, our educator, pretty much everything. And in essence, the goal of our community is that we seek to imitate Mary. We do this because we we see that Mary is the one that brought Christ, our Redeemer, to the world. Uh, She was the one that stood loyally by his side during his redemptive activity. And as her sisters, we believe that we are called to bear similar witness as I said before, she's, you know, our general superior, our mother, but also our sister, our model, and above all, our educator. So I guess our, our vocation can be summarised to, to be Mary and like Mary, to work in modern times so that many people can encounter Christ. What about that personal love that you have for Mary? Could you just tell us a little bit about how that developed for you? I think Mary, um, I can attribute my vocation to Mary. Um, as I was in my, my 20s, I encountered uh, the Schoenstatt Shrine out at Mulgoa. I actually had known about it when I was in high school because we would often go there for reflection days. And I was always drawn to it and I'd, I'd always wanted to head back there. And I think it was the experience I had in the shrine which is a place of pilgrimage and a place of grace where now that I know the spirituality, I can understand why. But at that time, I didn't know anything about Schoenstatt, but I experienced her real presence there. Of course, we have the Blessed Sacrament there, and and mostly when you head into a chapel or a church, you're focused on Jesus in the tabernacle. But there was a very, very special presence of Mary, and I could really sense uh, that she was there for me as mother and an educator through visiting there often and praying, I sensed that she was slowly transforming me and guiding me to my vocation. And I think one of the the most fundamental experiences that I had was I'd always had a desire to consecrate myself to her on the Feast of the Annunciation, a desire to, to imitate her fiat and through consecrating myself to her and her Immaculate Heart, thereby imitating her fiat to God. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Sister Julie? What For those of the listeners that may not be familiar with that, Marian consecration, could you tell us just in simple terms what actually that is? Okay. Well, another term that we can use for consecration, uh, which is a term we use in Schoenstatt, is called covenant of love. And the reason I'll introduce this, this name for it is because we know that Jesus sealed for us the new and internal covenant. And... Before his death, he gave to us his most precious gift, and that is the gift of his Holy Mother. We see to it when we make a covenant of love with Mary that with her, she would then help us to live the baptismal vows that we make and that covenant with Jesus. The consecration or covenant then with her is an act of giving her our hearts and trusting that she gives us her immaculate heart. So through that exchange, she slowly forms us or our hearts to be more like hers. And a very common prayer 
prayed by many people who consecrate themselves in some way or another to Mary is, My Queen, my Mother, I give myself entirely to you and to show my devotion to you, I consecrate to you this day my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my heart, myself without reserve. As I am your own, my good mother, guard and defend me as your property and your possession. Amen. Yes, that's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? One of my favourites. What's beautiful in that prayer is we acknowledge Mary as our queen and mother. And when we consecrate our senses to her, a reminder for us each day when we renew our consecration that we want to see with her eyes, we want to hear with her ears, to speak the words that she would speak. All our actions, our attitudes and everything are to try and be ennobled so that we imitate her and become a Marian person. The day that I consecrated myself for the first time quite consciously to the Blessed Mother in the Schoenstatt Shrine out at Malagoa, it was an amazing experience of grace, an experience of the reality of supernature or the supernatural world. It's something that I knew theoretically, but to have that experience that heaven and God, Mary, all the angels and saints are a reality and that they can play a part in our everyday lives was for me phenomenal. And I think that was when Mary really became a real person to me because I knew that she was guiding me and wanting to form me very personally. Sister Julie, can you tell us something about how your love for Mary has affected your relationship with Jesus? You mentioned earlier about how you know Mary sends you to Jesus and then Jesus sends you back to his mother again and this sort of deepening cycle. Could you tell us a little bit more about how you personally, your relationship with Jesus has changed or, or grown since Mary has become a, a, a more significant part of your spirituality? One of the things that did help, though it's something that I didn't realise, it was something subconscious, is that I'd always had in my younger years an image just of Mary or a statue. And when I reflect on the image of grace in the Schoenstatt Shrines, it's an image of mother and child. And that initially was something that was quite foreign for me because it was either Jesus or Mary, so it was quite mechanistic. But I guess when one learns to think and love organically, one sees that the beauty of, of their relationship is that they have a unity of hearts. It, it's hard, uh, Paul, for, for maybe you and the listeners to understand what I mean when I refer to the picture. So um, I guess I might then explain it another way. When we see Mary created as the Immaculate Conception, created to be the mother of God, to be his helpmate in the role of salvation, then we know that God has chosen her to be the closest person to Jesus. And the more we get to know Mary and have a relationship with her and allow her to form us and become more like her, the more we learn how to love Jesus correctly, authentically, reverently, and to serve him. And I think that's what the key was for me to understand that Mary, as our mother, one of the roles of, of being a mother is to form and educate her children. And when we, I don't want to say adopt, but when we accept 
Mary as our spiritual mother, then naturally she will lead us to her son and she will teach us how to love him the, as a child but also the way she did as a perfect human person, as the Immaculate Conception. Wow, that's great. Thank you, Sister Julie, very much. It's, uh, we really appreciate your spending time with us today and sharing some, you brought up some beautiful insights there about Marian consecration and how that relationship between Mary and Jesus builds and how um, Mary sends us to Jesus and Jesus then deepens our love and then sends us back to his mother again. So thank you so very much for explaining that so well. Thanks, Paul. Um, it's been an absolute honor to share my love with yourself and with the listeners. And I, I wish you all well and pray that you all come to know Mary as I have and grow ever more deeply in your relationship with her and her divine son. Well, thank you very much, Sister Julie. God bless you. God bless you too. So that's all we have time for today. So please join us again next time on Our Queen, Our Mother. radio.org.au